You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This is D House from the Jedi Trials, and you are listening to I Rebel, a Star Wars Destiny podcast. Forgery of Imperial documents, possession of stolen property, aggravated assault, resisting arrest. On your own from the age of 15, reckless, aggressive, and undisciplined. I rebel. Welcome everyone to I Rebel. I am your host, Jedi Geek Girl. Joining me for this very special episode from the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, D House. Hey, hey, how's it going? It's going pretty good. How about you? Good. Doing well. Before we start the show, I would like to congratulate you on your child coming. Yeah, we, uh, we're very excited. My wife and I are expecting our first child in March, so we're very busy getting ready for that. Thankfully, still have some time for Destiny right now. I, I don't know how that's going to look once the baby comes, but I'm soaking in every minute until that comes. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're so excited. Well, look at it this way. With a child being born, it gives you an opportunity to share what you love with the child. Oh yeah, definitely. I've already had so many uh, uh, funny conversations with my wife about the first age. We'll watch Star Wars together and when I'll introduce him to all the games that I play and <laughs> all those things. So she just kind of rolls her eyes at me, but it's so much fun. Do you know what you're having yet? Are you having a boy or a girl? Yeah, we're having a boy. Yeah, we found out a few weeks ago. So. Oh, fun, 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 fun. Before we start talking about Destiny and get into the show itself, I would like to dive into a little bit of business. Ivy Bell has launched its very own Patreon page. If you love the show and would like to donate, please do so at patreon.com slash Destiny. We have some wonderful rewards for those who would like to contribute, including, but not limited to, access to a very special Discord channel, a beta version of the show, say in the content of the show, one-of-a-kind fan-made cards, and even your very own special episode of Ivy Bell. It is you, the listeners, that help us move forward and grow. Thank you for all your support through listening, and if you choose to contribute, thank you so much. So, before we dive into Destiny, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself besides the fact that you are expecting a child? Uh, sure. Um, so I'm in Lexington, Kentucky in the bluegrass. Uh, I'm not originally from here, but work brought me here. I actually work at a church here in town, uh, working with, uh, students. It was actually interesting. I listened to your episode with Layton from three man meta, and he talked about using games to connect with homeless youth. And in a lot of similar ways, I've done the same, uh, using destiny and other games connecting with, uh, youth at the church. And so, Besides that, I uh, like I said, I'm, I'm married. I've got a couple dogs, huge Cubs fan. So both dogs are named after the Chicago Cubs. I think that's about it. Nothing, nothing too special. <laughs> and I'm a host on the Jedi Trials, which is what brings me here. So how did you get into becoming a part of the network? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so originally, my introduction to FFG games was through the Star Wars LCG um, back when I was in middle school, the Pokemon card game had just released and I got in with the base set, the very first set, uh, with some buddies and actually played that with my brother. 
that was my introduction to kind of competitive gaming, and I loved it for many years. And then uh, when I got to high school, I sort of dropped gaming from, you know, from starting high school up until maybe four years ago or five years ago, somewhere around there. And I just kind of wandered into this card shop while I was waiting to grab some lunch and saw the Star Wars LCG. I was like, oh, let me see what this is about. And because I love Star Wars and I was like, maybe I'll enjoy this card game. And, and it was a great game. Um, really enjoyed it, but I could never find anyone to play it with. I did teach a couple friends how to play, but it's not the most user-friendly, quick, let's learn this really quick and start playing kind of game. It, I think I think you know, I think you've played the LCG. It's not exactly sit down and learn the game in 10 minutes and play like Destiny is. No, it is not. But it's one of those games that when you sit down and play, you're like, why do I not play this more often? It's that good of a game. Uh, unfortunately, it takes a while compared to Destiny, but it is a shame that it doesn't see a more play. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, like I said, I just I really enjoyed the game. I just couldn't find people who played it as well. So eventually, um, after going to all these shops, I kept seeing all these guys playing X-Wing there, and uh, I sort of missed that social side. So I started playing... I picked up a X-Wing corset, started playing X-Wing, and uh, through through that, uh, ended up meeting Corey, uh, Coup Master Coup, and uh, we were playing together and ended up going to some tournaments and just getting really involved in the community, and through that, Corey eventually came to me and he's like, hey, uh, I run this Star Wars LCG podcast, but I really want to start an X-Wing podcast, so ended up starting the Stay on Target X-Wing podcast. And uh, we podcasted together for several years, and we brought on a few other guys. And <laughs> ironically, we both sort of, uh, as soon as Destiny was announced, we both knew we were in. Like I remember the uh, announcement from FFG. I texted him. I was like, "Dude, this is our game right here." And he's like, "Absolutely." And I think maybe a week after the announcement, he texted me and said, "Hey, you know we have to start a Destiny podcast, right?" And I was like, "Yep." <laughs> so. Uh, we sort of passed on the, the X-Wing podcast to some friends who are really involved in the competitive scene, and they do great with the Stay on Target, X or Stay on Target podcast. And so we started the Jedi Trials, and uh, it's always been a blast. So, so Corey and I have been podcasting for years and years and years together, and then just recently he decided to take a break um, just to focus on his family and just kind of, kind of some personal stuff, and, uh, and I totally applauded him for that decision, and left me kind of with the podcast and uh, trying to figure out what to do. And Mike Rudin from SWDestiny.com uh, was uh, more than willing to jump in and, and host some episodes. So we've actually been able to release weekly episodes, um, which has been a blast uh, to do weekly because before that we were doing sort of monthly episodes. But uh, for the past three or four weeks, we've been doing weekly episodes uh, with Mike and I've had Jay on from Double Blanks and it's just, it, it's been a ton of fun. So yeah, you should. If you're not listening, check us out. Jedi trial the or the Jedi trials .com, or check it out on iTunes as well. I have to say that as much as I miss Koi, you and Mike are doing a fantastic job. Oh, thank you. We uh, yeah, it, you know it's really cool too because I met Mike uh through Destiny, but we met at Worlds and got to play a lot, and then we hung out at Gen Con a bunch, and uh, you know he he's always just a good friend, and then so when Koi stepped out, <laughs> I remember sending Mike the text and. Hey man, uh, you, you want to come host with me? And it's like, absolutely, let's go. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely worked out great. It, uh, we have some, I, I feel like we have good chemistry and uh, work really well together and have good conversations. So, it's cool. 
So would I be correct in assuming that you are doing most of the technical work of the podcast? <laughs> uh, only, no. I, uh, we actually have someone you never see. His name's Dave. Um, I know My name's David, but his name's also Dave. And he does all the technical, he does all the editing, uh, actually gets the podcast on iTunes and all the different areas and manages the website. Like literally, if I didn't have Dave, there would be no Jedi trials. I have no idea how to do any of that stuff. So uh, it's his, and it's his podcasting equipment. He actually uh, is the vice president of a production company. So he's the one who started the network across the saga is uh, uh, the gaming side of it. But, um, and he runs some other podcasts, but he does all the technical stuff. I just do the social media and uh, recording and content stuff. If I can do it, anybody can. I mean, when I first started, I had to learn everything. And I thought maybe that was the case for you when Koi left. But I totally forgot that you had someone on board that did a lot of the technical work. So you didn't have to. Yeah, he, uh, he yeah, it would, uh, I'm sure if Dave wasn't there, I would, uh, I would force myself to learn all of it and uh and get the equipment and all that but like i said he's the vp of a production company he is extremely good at what he does and uh and enjoys doing it so i'm totally okay with him uh yeah him, him running with that so if it came down to it i would i would learn but right now i don't have to and and i'm okay with it <laughs> it has been quite an exciting week this week with all the spoilers that we have gotten it is spoiler season finally what are your thoughts of all the spoiled cards revealed so far? Oh my gosh, I am so excited. I love Legacies and Rivals, all the cards we've seen. I feel like the game is headed in a really positive direction, uh, not only because of the rules reference, but I think just the chance to get some actual table time with the game with competitive play and see what people abuse and what, certain mechanics need to be tempered so other mechanics like shields can be um, useful. And so um, looking at the spoilers so far, I just, it, it doesn't look like anything is over the top. Oh my gosh, that's going to just run the game. Like, like I remember when Thrawn was spoiled for Empire at War and I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, Thrawn Unkar is going to be an absolute insane beast. Like we, and I feel like a lot of people knew that, but right now of the spoilers we've seen, I don't think anyone's been like, Oh my gosh, that new Obi Wan! It's gonna ruin the game. Or oh, Doctor Aphra—that's that's totally just insane. Like I think it's just been really good, balanced, fun cards that we've seen so far. Of the one, I mean, granted, we've only seen what like thirty-two of uh, of legacies, but of everything I've seen, it's extremely thrilling uh, to me. I think Doctor Aphra specifically is extremely interesting. Uh, with that mechanic to play droids for one less uh, for the first droid you play each round. I think that with BT-1 and any other potential droids that we're going to see could be super cool. And I love the indirect damage concept. I think that's going to be really interesting. My favorite card spoiled of all of them is the Resistance Bomber, the three-cost red vehicle that j just does a ton of indirect damage. Because right now my favorite deck in Empire at War is... Uh, elite snap and two Wookiees and it just does planetary uprising drop zone y-wing tons of just random damage spread out with docking bay and honor guard and tons of removal and second chances 
And uh, so it sort of does the indirect damage thing already. And so I look at the resistance bomber and I just think, yes, that's that's headed uh, that's headed right into the deck. It's a ton of fun and doesn't rely on on dice nearly as much. So I think that's really cool. When I first saw indirect damage, I really liked the concept of it because it allowed dice to hit higher numbers without them being devastating. That was the first conclusion. But once I saw the battle droid revealed, I'm like, okay, this makes sense because it allows the battle droid to be quick, fun, and playable to a level because without the indirect mechanic, it would be kind of broken if any time you rolled a range damage, you could chain them. But with indirect damage, yeah, you could get a whole bunch of damage, but you get to put it where you want instead of your opponent targeting a character down and potentially knocking out a character. Yeah, absolutely. Those battle droids are super interesting because I know when we saw Jawas at six points to see, you know, we're like, okay, that's cute. That's interesting. Five Jawas. That's hilarious. And then we saw three-man meta drop these battle droid spoilers and they're not over the top powerful, but you think about seeing five of them and 30 health and uh, that's a lot of indirect damage. It's an interesting concept. I'm wondering how much of it we'll see. Could you imagine tactical mastery turn one and then chaining all your battle droids and they keep rolling indirect damage and then either resolving all that indirect damage or using strength and numbers to deal five damage and then resolving the indirect the next time? Uh, yeah. What, what's strength and numbers? Strength and numbers read deal indirect damage to an opponent equal to the number of exhausted characters you have. It is a red neutral card. That cost two. Oh yeah, that's a <laughs> yeah, that's extremely good, and that's gonna be scary. I think Droid will be a fun deck. I don't know if they will be competitive. They will be about the, at the same level as your triple Death Trooper type deck. You know, kind of fun, but kind of like you don't want to underestimate because it has the potential to overwhelm you. But I know that I cannot wait to double thermal turn one. I mean, I might find someone with a deck and run thermal detonator in a deck just to pull it off just because I want to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the dream. I have a I have an IG-88 Bazine deck that is a ton of fun, and it just gets thermal detonators out for cheap uh, on IG or you ace in the hole the thermal detonators. And uh, you also use the Relby mortar gun, the boss gun that you can spread out damage. And uh, use Relentless Pursuit to kind of put the damage where you like it. And Bazine Special is great against uh, multi-character decks. And, and so I would love to see that 5 Battle Droid uh, deck against that for fun. But I do think it's a good thing they put a little nerf on Pomaz for us to even be talking about 4 or 5 character decks. You mentioned something that uh, I would like to address with indirect damage coming to the game, do you think Reflex Pursuit will be a staple in decks that have yellow villain cards? If you run indirect damage, that is? Uh, I think so. I think it'll always sort of be one of those on the chopping block cards when you start getting down to it. But I have truly enjoyed Relentless Pursuit. I mean, it, and not a lot of people expect it right now. They might learn to expect it in future meta, but... Uh, right now, you think, okay, he doesn't have any dice out on the table. There's nothing he can do. I'm safe to do whatever. And then you drop a Relentless Pursuit and move the damage over to get a kill. It's a good surprise card for zero cost. It's very efficient. So 
Yeah, I do think with in, in an Afro deck of the stuff that we've seen, it seems like it would be an auto include right now. But we, you know, I think obviously with indirect damage becoming a big thing, I'm sure they'll release other effects as well that allow you to manipulate where the damage goes a little better as well. And hopefully that expands to damage on non-character cards as well. Like, could you imagine if there was, like, a support that you could exhaust to move a damage from your character to a support? Like, maybe you could move a damage to backup muscle. Yeah, that'd be that would be pretty interesting. Or, or move a, a damage from you to your opponent's resistance bomber to get rid of it. <laughs> There you go. I, I think that would be a fascinating thing. I wouldn't. I would actually be surprised if we do not get a card that does that. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of design space that they can that that they can explore with the indirect damage and moving it around, and and especially like I said, now that they're at you know like the uh, uh, the bubble shield that allows you to assign indirect damage there, the resistance bomber, you just place damage on it. I mean. It seems like they're kind of exploring, even Drop Zone, Drop Zone's another one that we have right now, where there seems to be more and more effects where damage is going on supports for some kind of effect. So it'd be something they'd have to watch very carefully because I feel like there'd be ways to abuse that, but uh, it could be an interesting addition to the game. I would like to do a segue here for a second. Would you like to share with our listeners the post that you made over at the Jedi Trials Facebook page with all the damage that you did the next turn? What that was all about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I kind of mentioned already, but my favorite deck right now is Elite Snap with two Wookiees. And uh, you run Docking Bay and Y-Wings, Planetary Uprising, Drop Zone. And so I was in a game this past week, and all you do is survive. Sometimes you don't even roll the Wookiees out. You just claim to trigger the planetaries and drop zones. So it's very it's very much a strategic deck that is very non-reliant on dice, uh, which I've learned to love, honestly. I love the I love when I don't have to depend on rolling well. The other day I was playing Vader Magnagar and I just could not roll damage and I was super frustrated and it just made me want to go back to my Snap Wookiees deck. But essentially in this game I got a first turn drop zone and planetary uprising out. And just started piling on the damage. I, and I ended up pulling drop zone the, the second turn as well. And somehow Planetary got involved. Um, I think I was playing against a Luke Ray deck. And at one point I had three damage on both drop zones. And both Planetary Uprisings out for this next turn. So all I had to do was tap drop both drop zones for six damage. And then claim for another four damage from Planetary to do ten damage without even rolling dice. And it felt fantastic to me. I don't think my opponent enjoyed it very much, but it was fun. Do you think that specific deck can be a contender? Or is it just a deck that you play for fun? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. The only deck I've struggled with was actually a Elite New Poe Elite Riken that just had an unbelievable amount of shields. and uh, Oh, and resources. So they... He ran Chance Cube and Shield Mechanics dug in. I mean, Riken's got his two shield side. Poe's got that special that changes dice and gives you a shield. And so I just, we played two games and it came down to the wire, but I just couldn't, because you can't focus fire necessarily with, unless, without your, I mean, your drop zones kind of can. But uh, the whole time I just couldn't 
he'd either have chance cubes rolling three resources so the y-wing special isn't doing anything uh or he had shields for planetaries and that's the only deck i struggled with i don't have enough experience with it to know if that's gonna continue to be an issue uh, because now that shields are viable like uh, because of Vibroknife change, people may run a lot more shield mechanics than before. Qui-Gon's going to be fantastic. I feel like Qui-Gon would do very well against the deck. But it also has a ton of staying power. I mean, you have a few Wookiees in Snap. That's 28 health. You've got second chances. You have um, what I call Zombie Guard, which is Honor Guard with Docking Bay. You just get a free Honor Guard every single turn. And you've got Yellow Removal. You've got Flank. I even run one copy of Let the Wookiee Win, which originally was just for humor's sakes because I'm running two Wookiees, and then I actually love it as removal or damage because it just adds to both my uh, win condition and removal. So, so I don't know, uh, but it's right now it's just a fun deck. But the more I play it, the more I want to play it more, and it does pretty well. So uh, we'll see, we'll see. I, I, stay tuned. I have a regional and. In about a month down in Alabama, and I still have to decide what to play. So we'll see if I can get some more testing in and uh, see if I like it. I really hope that it is a contender because it sounds like such a fun deck. And for it to do well competitively would just put icing on the cake. Yeah, I will say most of the games will go 25 minutes to 30 minutes because you're surviving and you're not focusing fire and so it's one of those where I, I worry about the fatigue of going to a long tournament and doing what the deck does like every single round and just the mental fatigue that would, it would take. But um, that's why I kind of like more aggro options for big tournaments because you can get a game done in 10 minutes and then go relax uh, for a little bit. But I don't know. While we are talking about spoilers, you guys over at the Jedi Trials got your own spoilers. For those who would like to know about them, I recommend you check out Jedi Trials' latest episode talking about them. Before we move on, is there anything you would like to state about these three spoilers that you got specifically? Uh, no, I think uh, I think our episode covered it. It was um, if for those who don't know, it's Mother Talzin from Clone Wars and uh, basically Maul's mom, <laughs> which is just hilarious to me. So. Uh, she's definitely very interesting as a 9-12 character, especially after we just got this round of nerfs to Phasma and Unkar and FN. Uh, so I think she's going to fill a hole in some decks that I think will be really intriguing. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how she goes, but definitely check out that episode or look on our uh, Facebook page for the images if, you, if you'd like to see them. It is really interesting because I don't know if you have noticed, but all the spoilers that have been given out have been thematically connected they aren't random like they were before yeah i know i i, I thought that was really cool how they did that because i know yeah we got the night sister kind of witch theme and three-man meta got the battle droid theme and so i'm I, i'm interested to see more i think this week uh hopefully we'll see some more content creators releasing more spoilers i would expect some to get released this week hopefully maybe two one hopefully any so are you ready for the main event Let's do it. Alright, so now we're moving on and we're going to talk about Sabine Wren in long form. She is one of my favorite characters in the Star Wars canon. What are your thoughts on Sabine Wren when it comes to the character herself? 
Oh man, yeah, Sabine. Sabine's really cool. So full confession, I have not seen the whole Clone Wars series. Um, I'm trying. I'm working. I'm slowly working through them. I I recently got convinced by a friend to give it another try. I kept getting lost by the non sequential order of the episodes and gave up. But I do love Rebels, and I keep track of Rebels. Seeing her character development in Rebels is super interesting, and. Uh, she's become, you know, super important in that series and has had some cool story arcs. And, I mean, she loves bombs, which, you know, that's cool. Thermal detonators are cool. <laughs> I don't know. She's a cool character uh, in the in the canon. Would you say that that is your favorite thing about her for you? Is the fact that she likes explosives? Or is there other aspects to her character that you like? Uh, yeah, I would say the bombs. I think the fact that she's Mandalorian is interesting because Boba Fett was always my favorite character growing up as a kid. I just thought his armor and his jetpack just are super cool. So to see another Mandalorian, uh, I think that's interesting. But I would say I, I'm very intrigued by the explosives side of it. Uh, when I played X-Wing, I loved playing bombs. Like that was sort of the theme I played in X-Wing uh, when I did that. So I, I, yeah, I am intrigued by that. I have to say that when Sabine was first revealed, what I liked about her most was the fact that she was a Mandalorian and an artist. As her character evolved, it took a little while compared to the other characters, but once we got to that very special episode in Season 3 with the Darksaber, it just added another aspect to her character that I really like. And without getting into spoilers, it is something that is very emotional and deep and something that adds a lot of color to the character going back and watching those earlier episodes. Yeah, definitely. It's like I said, I think they've done really well with Rebels because I always had my suspicions about it being a cartoon if it was just for kids. But the way they've been able to maintain just the Star Wars theme and, and develop the story throughout is... Uh, it's been really good, so I highly recommend. What is your favorite style of Sabine, since she's known to change up her style so much? Uh, you mean like in Destiny or just in general? No, the character in the show, because each season she changes her design on her costume and her hair, you know? Oh, <laughs> uh, this may reveal just me being a guy, but I don't think I've really noticed that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. It was worth a shot. Yeah, I'm I'm not very good. At, like, I mean, it's so funny. Like, we're doing a bathroom renovation at home right now, and my wife will ask me my opinions about different shades of paint and, and tiles and details, and I'm just like, just tell me how much it costs so I know what to plan for. <laughs> like, I just, I don't really catch those details very often. Well, if it was me, it would be a lot of pink and flowers. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. Well, that's that's great. <laughs> but anyways, moving on to Destiny itself, let's talk about Sabine Wren as a card in Destiny. What do you like most about the Sabine Wren card when it comes to what she brings to the game? Yeah, so... Sabine is extremely powerful and I think even got more powerful with the recent series of nerfs and errata because she she is one of the characters. I think what I enjoy the most is that uh, she is able to action cheat in a way that can be very explosive but is not 100% 
uh, at all because you have to roll. <laughs> you still have to roll well. Um, so I think uh, just her ability to pull out uh, a weapon from uh, your discard pile and uh, and use that ambush to activate and resolve, I think, is extremely powerful. And uh, I think what I really loved about it, I think, I mean, really, when Empire at War dropped, Sabine Ezra was the first deck I put together. I didn't want to do Throncar. I didn't want to do Cad Phasma. I didn't want to do Kylo FN. I want to do Sabine Ezra because I've always kind of leaned more toward the heroes in general in deck building. I, I think when I build villain decks, it's almost like they're too obviously good at times. Like, it's like, oh, I know I, oh, I have a yellow villain deck. Okay, I need two copies of He Doesn't Like You. I need, you know, two copies of Bait and Switch. I need, you know, and it, it just... To me, there's not as much of a challenge with villains, but with heroes, it's always felt like a little bit more of a challenge to create a powerful deck, except for Pomaz is maybe the example or the, the exception. But So when that dropped, I just thought, man, I just love the idea of pulling ambush weapons out of the discard and rolling out um, and resolving. I love the combo with uh, running interference. I never once tried to do the lock with thermal paint and double copies of running interference and just lock you out of your turn. I thought that's extremely boring and dumb, and I don't know why anyone would run that. Um, I never did that. I just liked running interference for the combos with never tell me the odds where you can change all of your dice and then tap running interference so you can't play a card and uh, mess with my dice. I actually, I love running uh, the card Aim with Sabine. It's one of those cards I think not a lot of people play, but it's sort of, when you have running interference, it's like a delayed force strike in a way. So I think that's extremely interesting with her as well. So just having a three range side with no pay side is, is extremely good. You know, I thought about putting aim in my Sabine deck, but I thought that with Hidden Agenda and Never Tell Me the Odds that that was a better way to go. I mean, yeah, you could switch one of your die, but the value that you were getting compared to like a Never Tell Me the Odds, especially with Sabine Ren die, that aim was like that 31, 32 cut inclusion in the deck. So I, I, I've thought about it myself and I'm still tinkering with my deck and that is something I did think about, but... I don't know if it, it would be something that I would throw in at this time, but it's, it's definitely a good thing to think about. I don't think it's necessary by any means. It just fits my style. I absolutely hate relying on my dice to, to roll well. It, it was extremely frustrating the other night. So I love, like you said, never tell the odds and aim where I just know, hey, I'll flip this. And then if I don't have running appearance, if you have removal, cool. If not, it's great. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a round where you know, Ezra's dice have been resolved, and and I basically all my dice had been resolved, and I have one Sabine die out there that's showing the three disrupt for one, and I have a resource, and I'm down to one card in hand, and uh, my opponent will claim, um, just because they figure, okay, he's out of rerolls, he's probably going to claim, and then with my one resource, I play aim, and just change that to the three, and resolve it, and they're just like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you played that, and it's a, it's a good little surprise card at times as well. It is kind of funny because when Sabine was revealed at Celebration, there was a lot of talk about how Sabine was borderline broken, like really good. 
However, it turns out that now that the card is actually out and people are playing it and we are in a world post-nerf, that to me it seems like she's really balanced for her cost, health, and die size. She has one of the best die sides and she has a fair cheating ability. Yes, you can play an ambush card from the discard pile, tapping running interference and have damage dealt but you still have many pieces of the puzzle that you have to get and you're not always going to roll damage. You can roll crap and your opponent will be unable to touch that, sure, but they'll be able to touch it next turn. So that is what I am noticing with the character, that she is really good, but she's not like your FN where she dominates every game that she's a part of. Yeah, and I mean, 11 health is not great. <laughs> Sabine can die very easily in... And one of the things I learned easy or early on playing Sabine is that um, if you draw a second chance in your opening hand, you don't mulligan it back. You keep it and you play it first turn even if she has two damage on her. Because if if you play a game and you don't get second chance on Sabine, you just lose straight up. Like if you don't get at least one second chance off, because what whoever you pair with is just not going to be able to carry it for you. I've in the games where Sabine has fully died and it was just left to whatever partner I was playing with her, um, I think I've won maybe like one of those five games where Sabine was completely dead. It it just doesn't work. So she absolutely needs second chance to do well in this in the meta where we're at. So moving on to character pairings, let's talk a little bit about some of the characters that you can pair her with. The first character pairing I would like to talk about is actually a character pairing I heard you talk about on your show, and that would be Sabine Kanan. I have not run Sabine with Blue. What does that particular pairing bring to the table? Yeah, so the, actually the reason I started tinkering with Sabine Kanan is I got sick of losing to New Kylo. Um, with Sabine Ezra. In every tournament I had gone to, uh, Sabine Ezra, I had no problem with any deck, but every time I played New Kylo, it doesn't, I would get multiple second chances off and I would still lose uh, because Ezra just couldn't carry it out. So um, I started trying to think through how can I make it so it's a lot harder. It's not an automatic two damage every time they activate because of all the yellow in my hand. So thinking about what, who could I pair him with and a lot of people pair with red, and I thought, I like what blue has to offer because it helps me keep Sabine alive. Because if you can keep Sabine alive till the end game and just Sabine never dies, your chances of winning go up dramatically. So I started looking at Kanan. Uh, one, I love his ability to his action sheet. Um, if you roll that focus on Kanan... I mean, that's essentially a free three damage from Sabine after you activate her, which is fantastic. But when you bring Kanan in, uh, there's a few blue cards that um, that specifically help keep Sabine alive. The first one is Force Illusion. Uh, Force Illusion at, at sometimes can be like another second chance. Because at times with modifiers, you can block upwards of four, five, six damage at a time while you're waiting for that second chance or to keep from the, the second chance from, from being triggered quite yet. So Force Illusion keeps Sabine alive. Caution is another fantastic one where you just use Kanan's die to give Sabine three shields and you just keep her alive. Heroism is another great one where it sort of turns Kanan into the Guardian. It's zero cost, which is fantastic, and you just put the damage onto Kanan. I also run Overconfidence. It's another good removal option. But actually, one of the interesting things that Kanan allows you to do is 
uh, run Impersonate, which is a two-cost yellow event where you move damage among your characters as you wish. Um, and because Kanan has 10 health, that actually gives you the max amount of for pairing for her to move damage off of Sabine. So basically, you just use Kanan as a, as a meat shield when Sabine starts taking damage. As soon as she gets near you know, six, seven, eight damage, you just move all that damage over to Kanan and you get a fully healthy Sabine. So that that's one of the cards I was actually most excited about doing with Sabine. And again, the whole theory behind the deck is just to keep Sabine alive no matter what and run Starship Graveyard so you get your Force Illusions, your second chances back, and Sabine will just never die. In that deck, Kanan will almost every time be the one that ends up being killed because they finally get frustrated with what Kanan's allowing you to do with Caution and uh, impersonate and we'll just end up killing him. So he he's a, he's a ton of fun. It's you know for those of you who care about theme, you know having uh, Kanan's one of that group in Rebels, so they work together with um, Sabine. And then another card I'll throw out there as a, a one that I've truly enjoyed is Concentrate. It's uh, from the two player starter. It's a one cost blue event that allows you to turn one of your dice to any side, and then you can spend another resource to turn another one of your dice to any side. So with running interference, again, you play concentrate, you could pay two and turn both of Sabine's die to threes and then tap running interference. So it's sort of like a a little bit better than aim and not as good as never tell me the odds. It's a good right in the middle um, that I just love. And again, it just is a surprise six damage if your opponent doesn't see it coming. So when it comes to playing Sabine Kane and you actually played it, how did it do in application compared to Thea, was it doing as well as you were hoping it would perform or did you find difficulties with it uh yeah it was a ton of fun to play it i absolutely loved it and it did exactly what i wanted to do it keeps sabine alive at all costs um and so but so it it does a lot better at managing uh like controlling dice because you have some blue removal and deflect and overconfidence and things like that and force illusion stop damage. Um, but the one area where it suffered was it did not do as much damage in return. So Sabine would stay alive longer, but your opponent would get more turns. So you both get a little bit more time with your characters. It struggled against four character decks because I don't run thermal detonators with Sabine. I like to ambush weapons. Uh, so I'd be able to like, you know, I'll kill CNRA and then I'll kill the Guavian. And then I got to kill two more stormtroopers and you just, it's just a long time and a lot of health uh, to chew through. So those decks that have a ton of health and, uh, and maybe guardians, uh, like, like I said, I, I lost to a four wide villain vehicle and I also lost to, um, this really cool seven sister Magna guard, uh, Gamorian guard deck with guardian and best defenses and cannon fodders and, it was super cool and, and unique, but it just, it, again, so much health is just hard to chew through and uh, couldn't finish it out. So the damage output is not as good as uh, like Sabine Ezra um, because of the double crosses and the plus twos on Ezra die. Moving on to another character that you compare her with, let's talk about the Poe slash Akbar pairing. What do those pairings bring to the table? Yeah, so I think the only reason you run Akbar is for the leadership play. If you want to get that double activation out of Sabine, you, leadership is just fantastic. Um, you do have the double focus on Akbar. If I, if I ran that version, I would make sure to run all in. So again, you can get those plays where you change your dice and they can't mess with it. So that's 
I guess one of the reasons you would do it. I personally don't like that variation. One, because again, Sabine dies, Akbar is not going to do anything for you. <laughs> He's not going to be able to win it out for you. I mean, red cards are great. Duggan, field medic, um, defensive position as well. But I just, it feels a little bit like a one-trick pony to me because if you don't draw those leaderships, you're going to be really frustrated. Um, and then the other thing too is the the new rule change where you can only overwrite one upgrade per turn really hurts those leadership plays with Sabine because before you could just overwrite your holdout with a X8 Night Sniper, do all the damage, and then leadership, then do that trick again, bring the holdout back. Uh, but now you can't do that. You have to actually pay for it. So you essentially would need to... Another, you'd basically need to have three resources that you spend one on leadership, two on the upgrade, um, unless you just rolled out to be normal and let them remove your dice. But I don't know. So, so you do it for the leadership plays. You do it for access to red. I did see one guy doing uh, Rebel Commando just for the extra health for Impersonate. I, I think Akbar is better than the Rebel Commando, but that essentially leadership is the whole reason you would do that with Akbar. What about Sabine Pull wrapping up Sabine with red? Yeah, that's that's the one version of the deck I have not. Uh, I don't have any experience with. I have a version put together on the database um, because I've heard great things, and in theory, I think it it does sound super interesting to me. I've always loved the card All In, and I think Poe with that two focus and the special is just screaming for um, some great All In plays. So I do want to try that. I just haven't. I ha- like I said, I've tried every other version of Sabine. That's the one I haven't gotten to, um, simply because I like two Sabine dice. That's the only thing that I say, ah, I'm giving up the Sabine die. But in that variation, you actually have someone who can finish out a game for you um, if Sabine dies. So I do think It's a Trap hurt that variation when they changed it, but I don't think that deck necessarily needed It's a Trap to win either. So I am curious to try it, but I don't have a lot of good experience to give a good opinion on it yet. I don't know if this deck is much of a contender anymore because of the Rada to Heat of Battle. I think that was the strength of the Sabine Pole deck. And I haven't really heard much about it since the Rada, but I heard a lot about it before. I had a lot of people saying, hey, you know, this is a deck to try. And now you don't hear that because of Heat of Battle no longer being what it used to be. Yeah, that's a great point because you have that play where you hit and run Poe and then activate Sabine with Ambush and then hit Heat of Battle and I mean that that is a really strong play and yeah it, it doesn't work as as much I do think you could still do I mean being able to change two dice is still changing two dice which is which is still pretty solid but it's not as good as it could be I agree, but with that point, you might as well play Never Tell Me the Odds, and for one point more, maybe change up to one or two more die on Sabine. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to our last ping, and perhaps the best ping, Sabine Ezra. What makes that ping so good despite Ezra being so darn fragile? Yeah, I think the first thing is you get four dice. Every other Sabine pairing, you have to be okay with three dice but Ezra offers the four dice for you he's got the two range sides the the one range and the plus two range don't underestimate that plus two range my more savvy opponents have seen that when I've rolled that and took the time to electroshock the plus two before I rolled out Sabine because they knew 
if they didn't, it was going to hit them anyways. So, um, so Ezra's ability to, to add to Sabine's damage output is fantastic. His disrupt is great because it gets rid of the removal options. And then his special is just so fantastic. I absolutely love his special to steal a resource from your opponent. My favorite play with Ezra is to, you know, you roll out Ezra, you show the specials. So they freak out and they play a two cost, whatever. And then uh, you play truce and give them a resource. You get a resource and then you do the special and steal that resource from them. So for zero cost, you just gave yourself two resources which is just so much fun. But also, I think uh, the the play that I love with Ezra is rolling out his dice and being able to loft cat and mouse, uh, good removal, and also double cross. Re- you remove an Ezra die, a character die, to resolve one of their dice against them, which, um, again, most people do not remember that that card exists. And so when you do it, it's always uh, pretty satisfying to be able to resolve that damage against them. Um, and then if you hit an agenda, you can play it for free, which is always good. So that's what Ezra does. Uh, again, if Sabine dies and it's just left up to Ezra, oh man, it is it is a struggle. But um, if you have amb- or uh, redeploy weapons like Holdout that can move over to him and you still have maybe a hidden agenda and never tell me the odds, you, he can push out some damage, uh, but he dies so fast at 7 health. It's Yeah, it's it's not even funny, so... I think that is one of the best things that Ezra brings to the table is the fact that you are starting out with two dice on Ezra. And with yellow, a lot of your removal relies on you having dice in the pool. So your first action activating Ezra, you have two dice to play with. Even if one gets removed, you still have a die to remove for negotiate, double cross, lost cat, and mouse. And other yellow removal cards. I think those are the only three. There might be another one. But the point is, with that matchup, you're getting four dice, two to play around with that you can resolve or you can feed into your removal options. Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, A lot of uh, that cheap yellow hero removal is dependent on certain situations. I mean, you need dice out in the pool. So he lets you do that without sacrificing your Sabine dice for those effects. In conclusion, do we think Sabine is queen of the meta right now? I would say absolutely. <laughs> I don't know that there's any uh, other character that offers the efficiency that she offers um, right now after the nerf happened. I do think she is the top uh, contender, which kind of, <laughs> I kind of hate because, like I said, right as Sabine dropped, I've been running Sabine since day one, and so now it just kind of looks like I'm jumping on the bandwagon, but... I've always been a believer in her. I took her to uh, the Cloud City Open in Cincinnati, and I was the only hero deck to make top eight. It was four Kylo FNs, three Cad Phasmas, and me with my Sabine Ezra. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I do think, because none of the of those eight decks, Sabine Ezra is the only one that can exist in its form as it was. So, yeah, I think she's top. I think we're going to see a lot of her in regionals, and you need to know some of those tricks that she can pull. It is now time to wrap up. Thank you so much for coming on and talking some Star Wars Destiny with me. Absolutely. It was a it was a joy to be on here and talk some Destiny. Before we let you go, if people would want to contact you, where can they find you? Uh, sure. Uh, the main place is uh, any of our Jedi Trials social media. Um, so we're at facebook.com slash the Jedi Trials. Um, 
on Twitter. I'm uh, on there all the time at, at the Jedi Trials, Instagram at the Jedi Trials. Uh, so if you send a message to there, it, it'll it'll come to me, and I, I usually try to respond fairly quickly. But um, that's the best way. I'm uh, I'm on Discord a little bit here and there under D House. So you may see me on there under Double Blanks or Knights of Ren Discords. I usually hang out there a lot. That's pretty much it. That concludes this episode of Ivy Bell. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time. This has been Ivy Bell, a Star Wars Destiny podcast. I have been your host, Jedi Geek Bill. If you would like to contact me, please send me an email at ivybelldestiny at gmail.com. And as always, may the force be with you. Bell is an independent podcast, not associated with Lucasfilm, Disney, Fantasy Flight Games, or any other organization. All copyrights for Star Wars, Star Wars Destiny, and all other properties belong to the proper copyright holders.